You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. All right, let's head to our seats. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Um, we're going to continue our series on the chapter 2, verse 17, and we're going to cover the entire chapter 3. So we're going to read a little bit of a bigger portion of Scripture, and um, let's go ahead and, and read it together. So if you have your Bibles, you can, you can uh, pull First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17, all the way through the end of chapter 3, and we will also have it on our screen. <clears throat> This is Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you just as you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as, as, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for you, for your sake before God, our God? As we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that we may establish your hearts, so that he may establish your heart blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Lord, I pray that this morning you would speak to us from your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in each one of our hearts and minds, uh, bringing conviction, bringing comfort, and also reminding us of the great news of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, I pray that today we would be made more and more like you. 
through the power of your spirit and your word. Amen. So uh, we've been talking about the letter to the uh, church in Thessalonica. And something that's interesting about this letter is that we don't see rebukes. We don't see a lot of commands from Paul uh, for a church that's in distress or that's going through difficulties in terms of internal conflict. What we mostly see is a, a letter that encourages the church. We actually see, if you read chapter 2 again, a lot of love from Paul to this church. And in this, uh, this section that we just read, we can, a- we can actually see it a little bit more. We continue to see how, how much Paul loves uh, the church in, in Thessalonica. And the, the point that I want to make today, since we don't really have a lot of commands for this church, and so you'll know, Paul is the one who planted this church. And if you want to read more about how this church came about, you can refer back to the book of Acts and chapter 17. You see how it all came to pass. And uh, when, every time you hear Paul say we, he's talking about three people mostly. It's Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And that's also something we learned from Acts 17. So Paul is somebody who loves God. You guys, some, some of you are familiar with how he became a Christian. And he became somebody who was on fire. That's how we would probably say uh, or call Paul. Somebody who was on fire for God. But Paul's fire or love for God was expressed in his love for people. And that's precisely what I want to make sure we hear today. My point today and what I want us to see in this text is that loving God or saying that we love God always means or always results in loving people. We see that Paul left this church. He's not there in Thessalonica anymore. He actually begins by saying that he was torn apart from them. And he's writing because he's worried about them. He misses them a lot. In fact, if you paid attention in verses 3, 1 and 3, 5, twice Paul says that he could no longer bear being apart from them. So Paul is actually really missing. He says, I trust friends and his brothers and sisters in, in this church. In fact, he says, I tried and tried again to go and see you, but... But Satan blocked me or, or didn't allow me to go. We don't know exactly what that means. But what we see is that these people are in Paul's heart. They are uh, important to him. He loves them. And he actually sends Timothy. He, he says, I can't go see you. Well, I'm going to send somebody who's my right hand, somebody that I trust. And he sends Timothy to see how they're doing. He's worried about their faith. And then he, uh, Timothy spends some time with them, some time with them. And then Timothy comes back, and then he, he is told that the church also misses him. And then he's comforted by their faith. And uh, Timothy says, they, yeah, they remember you, and they have really good memories with you. And at the end of this section, Paul prays for them. And the reason why I want to talk about how much or how important it is to love people is because our society, Christianity, mostly in the West, has been uh, individualized to just a relationship between me and God. Have you heard about people saying, well, this is between me and God? 
or this is all about my relationship with God. And in fact, I've heard people who do not attend the church and are not involved in all, any other way of ministry, and they call themselves Christians because they assume that Christianity is an individual thing. Uh, and I would completely disagree from the Bible because clearly Christianity is not just about loving God, but it's expressed through loving people. And this is something that Jesus talked about. Jesus was very clear in Matthew 22. He was, uh, there were some Pharisees and people that were trying to get Jesus through some questions. They, they, they didn't like Jesus' teaching. And, and they were trying constantly to, to, to prove him or to test him, to make him uh, just make a mistake or, or, or find fault in him. And these people asked Jesus a question. And it seemed to be an easy question. And in Matthew 22, some of the Pharisees asked, Teacher, which is the great, the great, commandments in, the great commandment in the law? They were asking, what? 22, verse 37. And he said to them, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's the answer that we're expecting, right? And that's what the Pharisees did. Yeah, we love God. We're doing exactly what you said. But Jesus didn't stop there. He could have just literally end up or say that and he would have been right. But Jesus added something that they didn't like too much. Verse 39 says, and, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes a little note that shocked him even more. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he was basically saying, yes, it's about loving God. It's about your personal re relationship with Jesus. But... As, as important as that is for you to love others. In fact, the entire Bible depends on those two commandments. And as Christians, we need to understand that the Bible, everything we read, is not just a vertical relationship between me and God. The vertical relationship between me and God needs to, must be expressed in a horizontal relationship with others around us. And loving God always results in people. And this is what's happening with Paul. He goes to, the, to Thessalonica and he, is, uh, he experienced persecution and the church is established there. And he's not just there for, for the sake of loving God. He's there for the sake of people as well. In fact, he considers people his joy. Did you, did you catch that? He says, you are my joy, you are my hope, you are my crown. He actually says, you are going to be the ones that I'm proud of when I go before Jesus, when he comes back, and I'm going to show you off as the labor of my, my, my work or the fruit of my work. Paul wasn't proud of the buildings. He wasn't proud of the programs. Paul wasn't proud of the offering. He wasn't proud of anything else. He was proud of the people. The people wear his joy, his glory, his crown. And that's what he was going to present to Jesus when he saw him face to face. So in a sense, we can say that the purpose of Paul's ministry was people. And I would like for us to understand and, and, and hear that as Christians, 
The purpose of our faith is also people. He was, Paul was worried that um, these people were not going to continue in the faith, so he sent Timothy to strengthen them. He wanted for them to be okay. And let me, let me ask you this. And you might not think the way I think, but when you think back to your childhood, I'm talking to the adults. <laughs> what do you remember the most? What are some of the fondest memories you have from when you were a kid? I remember mostly my cousins. My, my wife, uh, I, I didn't realize the, the, the blessing I had in having so many cousins until I met my wife and she started asking me questions about my childhood. And when I was in Mexico, I, I remember I was always sad because I used to watch the American movies. And I was always like, wow, look at their houses. And I remember, remember the concept of having your own room. And I remember like kids having posters in their, in their rooms. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And kids who had like TVs in their rooms. And, and, and every child had their own room. And then that, I remember they would escape through the, through the window and climb on a tree. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. They have trees next to their houses. And I'm from Mexico City. I lived in a house with three other families in the same house. I never knew what it was to have my own room. Until this day, I've never had my own room. <laughs> Now that I think about it. I'm not going to do it, baby, I promise. Um, but I remember all the, it, like, every time I saw a picture, I looked at their stuff. And then I looked at the kind of bikes they had and all the activities they used to go to. And then I looked at my childhood, and I was like, well, I don't have all those things. But when I look back, my mom's side has eight siblings. My dad's side has nine siblings. So you can imagine how many kids there were in my family. And we're Mexican, so there's a ton of kids everywhere. And my fondest memories are just playing with my cousins on the street with nothing. Just hours and hours figuring things out, going under cars, climbing on whatever we could climb. Those were the fondest memories of my childhood, not necessarily the stuff. And then I look back at the church I planted in Mexico, and this is something my wife and I talk often. I don't remember, remember what kind of equipment we had, sound equipment. I don't really remember like the chairs or the offerings or the programs. The thing that I mostly remember are the people. That is the most important thing. And that's exactly What God wants us to notice and realize that our faith is always reflected in the people around us and how much we love the people around us and how much we care for the people around us. Loving God always results in loving people. This is what 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So I want you, for a moment, 
to think about your faith and what does it mean to be a Christian? And ask yourself, is my to the people around me, to the people to a church, but it also involves the people outside of the church. Loving God is loving people. And then the, the, the question that follows is, well, how do I love people? And let me just clarify, what we see here in this text is not just Paul who is kind to them or smiles to them or remembers them. No, there's some action that takes place. Some, some, um, there is things that we need to do, tangible things we need to do when it comes to loving others. So let me tell you that loving your neighbor, physical neighbor, or the brother and sisters in the church, is not simply respecting them. Loving the people in, in, in your church or in your community, whether Christian or not Christian, is not just being nice to them or smiling to them. Love requires action. And love requires, Christian love requires sacrificial action for the well-being of others as well. I would even go as far as saying that as Christians, we love God by loving and serving others, acting sacrificially for others. This is exactly what we see in several places in the Bible. We see in the Bible that God says that when we serve people, we're actually serving him. And that is especially true in the case of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. The Bible says in Proverbs 19 that if you are generous to the poor, you are being generous to God himself. Matthew 25 says that Jesus rejected people from entering into the kingdom of God because they didn't serve him. And people ask him, what do you mean that we didn't serve you? And he says, I was thirsty and you didn't give me water. So there is a, a, a very close or helping relationship between loving God or saying that we love God and serving or helping and loving the people around us. This is precisely what Paul is doing for the Thessalonians. He doesn't just say, I miss you so much and Satan stopped me from going, so God bless you. No. He says, okay, I'm going to stay by myself, and I'm going to send my best man, my right hand, Timothy, to you. And he sends Timothy, to, and, and he travels and visits them and spends time with them and makes sure that they're okay. He actually strengthens their faith. And then he brings back that to Paul and gives him a good report. Serving people sacrificially, giving to people sacrificially is part of our Christian life. We cannot divorce our faith from the works that our faith require. And I'm not saying, and I, of course some of you already know, that we are saved by works. But our faith moves us, compels action for the people around us. And if you notice, Paul, if, you, if you've ever read the book of Acts, you know Paul is persecuted everywhere. He's constantly in trouble. He's being 
constantly stoned or uh, chased away from a city. And Paul is writing to these people because they are also going through that. In chapter 2, verse 14 and 16 of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, he actually says that. For you, brothers, became imitators of the own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And this pleased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. So the church in Thessalonica is not just experiencing peace and, and everything is going well. No, they're being persecuted as well. And Paul is serving them in the midst of that persecution while he's also being persecuted. So I want to I propose to all of us to think of our faith in a, in, in a new light. And this is something that I struggle myself. When I think of my Christianity, when I think of my faith, I usually think of I need to read my Bible more, which is true. I usually think of I need to pray more, which is true. I usually think of I need to attend church and maybe serve church, which is true. But I seldomly really take the time to think of my faith and my Christianity in terms of the people around me. And that is exactly what we see with Paul, and we see it with Peter, and we see it with John, and we see it with Jesus himself. They were not just professing. They were not just talking about things. They were not just serving in some program. They were all about people. And the reason why we don't like to think about our Christianity sometimes in terms of the people around us is because that's probably the most difficult part of Christianity. I was, I was raised in the church, basically. I, I turned, my, my parents began to take us to church when I was 11, and I've experienced all kinds of different and difficult things in church. It's not easy to be in church. There's weird people in church. <laughs> yes. There's people who you don't like. There's that brother or that sister that did something or said something that time, and it just stays with you, and it's uncomfortable. And then there's sin. There's discipline issues. And for us, there's people leaving. And it's difficult. But Paul tells them, it's going to be difficult. Paul tells them exactly that. It's on our text. Loving people is going to be hard. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 and 4 says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Verse 3 says, That no one, may be made, uh, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For we, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were, that we were to suffer affliction just as, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Pain in church is inevitable because we're working with people, because we're sitting next to people, because we have different ways of doing things, because we think differently. It's incredible how different people are. 
I have two siblings schools, and they were born in the same household with the same parents, went to, the, went to the same schools. And today, if I talk to my sister about certain issues, that I, I would say we're both on the same page. We're not. We're two different worlds. And that's my sister, who I know, who grew up with the same parents. Now, I'm sitting right here with people from all over the place that I have no idea what your background is, and my way of thinking is going to be completely different than yours. And that is difficult. But we must understand that that's part of loving each other. That's part of actually loving God. And what Timothy does is he encourages the people in Thessalonica. He tries to exhort them to strengthen their faith. And as a pastoral word for me, from me to you right now, as we start a process of mourning and understanding the difficulties that we are uh, going through as a church, we need to cling to each other instead of separating from each other. We need to be agents of encouragement. We need to be agents of helping people not be moved by these afflictions. We need to now show the love that we have for God in, the, in loving the people around us. We need to strengthen each other's faith. Because loving God means loving people. And loving people always results in serving sacrificially to others. And I want to say as, as my last point, it's interesting how Paul prays for them at the end. The last part of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually says and prays for them that they may increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And verse 13 says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The purpose of loving people is that God is shaping us. Loving people is difficult. Being sitting here and serving along other people is sometimes difficult. It's also sometimes really good. But as we go through this, God is shaping us. He's molding us. He's making us more like him. He's making us blameless in whole another. So let me tell you, the people around you, the people in our church, the people in your community, the people at work, all of them are agents of God's sanctification in your life. And it's going to be hard, but just know that God is working in you as you work with others as well. God has purpose for all of us to be made into the image of Christ through our brothers and sisters. To make us blameless and holy. And we should understand it. And what God is doing in the process of sanctification, is that he's getting us ready for eternity. Because our faith, even expressed in its ultimate expression, which is when we go to heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, at the end of everything, there's only going to be two things that are going to be there for us. Primarily. 
The first one is God, and the second one is people. We are going to be spending eternity with God and with the people that are around us. He is getting us ready for eternity. And I want to finish by saying, all of this is great and it sounds amazing, but the reality is that you and I cannot do this on our own strength. Everything I just said is not a call for you to try to love people more. Everything I just said is not for you to think that you're not going to be a Christian unless you love people more. Because guess what? You in your strength or me in my strength cannot come up with that. We are selfish by nature. We are sinners by nature. We are unable to love people. We actually cling or or are prone to, to move towards people that are just like us because that's our sinful nature. We don't want to sacrifice for others. And that's precisely why we have Jesus. That's precisely why we have the gospel. Because God did it for us. Because he is the one who's perfect. And he gave, gave up his rights. Gave up his throne. And came down to earth to be with us. To serve us. He didn't just say he loved us. He came and died for us on the cross. So that now through his power. Through his Holy Spirit. We can now love others. Just in the same way he loved us. So this is not a call for you to try harder. This is a call for you to rely on Jesus and understand his gospel and how much he loved you so that out of that you can give to others. You were a sinner. You were not worth of salvation, but Jesus came and died for you. He was punished. He was crucified. He bled on that cross for your sake and my sake because he loved us. And because of that, we are now forgiven. We have eternal life by grace. Not because of what we did, but because of what he did. So if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you that through the gospel, we can be equipped and find the way to bless and serve and love the people around us, inside the church and outside of the church. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm telling you, You cannot love people well unless you understand the love of God for you. And if you're not a Christian here, I want to tell you that what I just said was also, is also available for you. God's forgiveness and God's free uh, grace for eternity is available for you too. Jesus also died on the cross for you. And you don't need to get your life together. You can just accept that you're a sinner. Come to him and he will give you eternal life. And that's why we are here. That's why we gather every Sunday. For so with that relationship with God, let's continue to embrace each other as we continue to grow in our relationship with God through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you because you are not a God who just verbalized your love for us, but you took action. You came in a tangible way. You you became a man, and you dwelt among us. And I pray that today we would understand how much you have loved us and what you've done for us. out of that realization and out of the power of the Holy Spirit, we would 
go out and love the people outside of a church and love the people inside of a church. Lord, I pray for all of us right now who are uh, going through this difficult time as a church. I pray that, that we would cling to you first, but that we would also cling to each other, that we would seek to strengthen each other, that we would seek to be available for each other, that we would seek to help each other out and, and, and sacrificially give as we continue to seek your guidance and your comfort. Thank you, God, for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.